What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 29. This is Internal Budget, and it's Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver 7, coming at you with what's going to be a very unprepared, very unpolished episode of the podcast. I am at home in Sudbury this week, enjoying some much needed time off with the family. So just trying to get this one in when I can, when I have some free time away from the dogs and my family and everything like that. And just been watching a lot of hockey. Been watching every game I can get my hands on. If you follow me on Twitter at Brandon Mackey underscore, you have most certainly seen it. I've been posting gifts of goals and saves and big moments for no particular reason. Just something I've enjoyed doing. And I think for today, we might as well just talk about the hockey. There's been a lot of really good hockey on. Um, some of my predictions aren't looking great. <laughs> like I said, this episode's going to be super off the cuff, probably super short. Um, just getting it in where we can, but yeah, my bracket's not looking too hot. Mainly talking about the New York Rangers and Carolina Hurricanes series. And I'm watching Montreal-Pittsburgh game two as we speak. Uh, going into the third period here with the Penguins up one nothing. But yeah, uh, look, <laughs> for all you jumping into my mentions saying that, Oh, Brandon, you picked the Rangers and they're not winning. Listen, I picked the Rangers thinking that Igor Shostarkin was going to be in net. I did not pick the New York Rangers expecting Henrik Lundqvist between the pipes. I did not think Lundqvist was going to win them this series. Has he been bad? No, not by any means. But Shesterkin probably gives them a little more energy. And the Rangers' offense hasn't really showed up. Only three goals for the through the first two games. It's not good enough. It's not good enough for a New York Ranger team that boasts such firepower. Artemi Panarin, Mika Zabanajad, even Tony D'Angelo. I know he's not a well-liked guy, but but yeah, that's they're just they're playing right into Carolina's hands. Like if you're the Rangers, you need to play with speed, you need to move the puck around quickly, you need to have a quick transition game, and you need to get uh, Mrazek moving laterally, and they haven't done that. Um, They've really, really struggled to establish themselves in the offensive zone. And that's been a huge reason why they haven't been successful. They're down 2 nothing in the series now. Do they go to Shesterkin for Game 3? If he's available, I think so. Again, not that it's Henrik Lundqvist's fault, but you got to change something. you gotta, you got to try to spark your team any way you can. And is it going to be enough to win three straight against the Hurricanes? Probably not. That's a tough team to beat th- uh, three times straight. But I think it gives them a better chance to win for sure. As we're uh, talking here, they're showing the clips from game one with the Oilers and the Chicago Blackhawks. And that's a series a lot of people picked Edmonton to win, myself included. And I was listening to this game on the radio on my way from Toronto to Sudbury. And I was shocked. I was shocked at, one, starting Mike Smith. Again, not his fault that they got blown out. But it 
struck me as a coach going with his gut, and I just don't I don't know how you do that in a playoff series against a veteran team like the Blackhawks. It's almost like Edmonton was looking past them or taking it for granted. Uh, the Oilers never came out of the starting gate. Chicago scored early, and um, it didn't look like the Oilers ever fully recovered. And Chicago has the experience factor. A lot gets made of it, but it's a valuable thing. You have guys like Taze and Kane and Seabrook and Keith who have been in those situations before and who can settle the young guys down and take the pressure off them and just let them perform like it's any other game. And Dominic Kubalik, what do you have, five points? Ridiculous. Absolutely nuts in his first career playoff game. But that's what happens. When you have good leadership, it takes all the pressure off those young kids. And that's how you win. Edmonton doesn't have that. Edmonton only has what? I think James Neal's the only guy from that team to go deep into the playoffs. Mike Green. Was Mike Green on the team that won the cup? Yeah. Like, they, they don't have the experience Chicago has, but they out-talent them, I think. And if Edmonton's going to win, Connor McDavid needs to be scoring, which he did. Leon Dreisaitl, they need to establish time on attack. And they need to just get pucks to the net. Because if they get pucks to the net, they're going to go in. They're too skilled not to. But the way they played, it was passive. It was it was frustrated. It's not the way to beat a Chicago team like that. And if they continue to play like that, they won't beat Chicago. And everyone's bracket will be busted. <laughs> Speaking of brackets... Um, Arizona and Nashville played yesterday. That was a fun game. Um, I picked the Coyotes to win that series. I took some heat on Twitter.com for it. But I, I don't think Nashville can get it together in time. Like if you watched game one, they didn't they didn't they didn't have their shit together until the third period. And that's not the way you win in the playoffs. And the Predators know that. They're a veteran team. But they started UC Saros, which I think was a good thing. But Arizona outworked them, and Arizona frustrated them. And maybe the rest of the series will be different, but I still think the Coyotes take it in five. I think they're going to steal a game or two and win it in five. But, oh, the main thing that really needs to be talked about on this episode, it just happened today, and it's already big news, but... During the national anthems of the Vegas and Dallas game, Ryan Reeves took a knee, and along with him, Tyler Sagan, Jason Dickinson, and Robin Leonard took a knee. And that's big. Uh, It's something that hockey has been behind on. And I've talked about this, but Originally, for me, I was a guy who wasn't really supportive of Colin Kaepernick. That's changed now, now that I understand more of what his movement was about. And let me be clear. I don't want to tell guys they should knee, they should take a knee. Because that's not up to me. If a guy doesn't feel like taking a knee um is going to make an impact or it's something he's not comfortable with, that's that's fine. You know, nobody's obligated to be an activist. It's nice if they take a stand and do the right thing. 
But if they don't believe kneeling is the right thing for whatever reason, I'm sure there are guys, there are plenty of guys who support the Black Lives Matter movement that don't feel like kneeling is the right way to go about it or the way that they would prefer to go about it. And that's a okay with me. But the fact that not one, not two, not three, but four guys right before a game had the courage to do it, that makes me feel really good about being a hockey fan. And it started with Matt Dumba uh, on Saturday taking a knee, even though he wasn't playing, coming out and making this speech on behalf of the Hockey Diversity Alliance. It started with him, so he deserves the credit for kind of kickstarting this this movement of hockey players kneeling. But it's something that I think we'll hopefully see more of. I think a lot of players are afraid of the consequences that come with kneeling. Matt Murray just made a huge save. Wow, cross crease. Wow. But yeah, I think a lot of guys are afraid of the consequences that come with kneeling, that could come with kneeling. But the more players that do it and the more high profile they are, you're not going to see those consequences. And it's going to be easier for guys to take a knee. You know, Tyler Sagan taking a knee, one of the league's biggest stars. That is huge. That is great stuff. And it's really nice because... Before the return to play happened amid the George Floyd protests, Sagan was one of the guys that came out and said that he was gonna he was going to do better and he was going to do more. And he was going to continue to try to educate himself. And he's following through on that. So full credit to him. Robin Leonard, a guy who publicly supported Donald Trump during his last campaign for president, had Trump's name on his mask has since come out and said he doesn't support Trump anymore, that he's learned from it. But that guy taking a knee. What do you think Eric Trump thinks of that? I love it. Good for Robin Leonard. And and, and we should be rewarding that. We should be praising growth. You know, it's something that needs to be normalized that people can change their opinions. Condemning them forever for doing one bad thing when they were young or maybe not in a good place. It's not the way we should be going about it, especially if we want to bring out real, meaningful change. And I'm really happy that Robin Leonard took a knee beside both his teammate and two of his Dallas Stars opponents. And kudos to Ryan Reeves for being the one to initiate it. It's the players of color that deserve the credit because they're the ones that had the courage to do it in the first place. I don't think without... Uh, Matt Dumba kneeling and without Ryan Reeves kneeling that Sagan and Leonard and Dickinson would have kneeled. But because of them, because of Dumba and Reeves and the guys in the Hockey Diversity Alliance, Anthony Duclair, Vander Kane, Akim Alou, I wholeheartedly believe that we're going to see more players take a knee as the playoffs go on. And is that a good thing? I think absolutely. Hockey needs more color, as they've said repeatedly. And hockey needs to feel like a safe place for marginalized groups. And that's going to come as this continues. And there are people who are saying, who are saying they're going to stop watching hockey because of it. One, you're going to keep watching hockey. Don't kid yourself. And two, 
even if you're not good riddance. We don't need you. We don't need you in our sport. And for the crowd that says keep politics out of sports, sports have always, always been political. Adolf Hitler used the Berlin Olympics as a huge political statement, one of the biggest of the 20th century. Sports were very political when Muhammad Ali was taking his stand against Vietnam. Sports have always been political, and they will continue to be political until they're a safe space for everyone, which is the way that it should be. I don't want to rant too much about this. I think I've said everything that needs to be said, and so much of it is not for me to say. Um, Voices of color are really the ones that should have, that should be the authority on this matter. So I would encourage you to continue to listen to them and seek them out um, because they can tell you a whole lot more than I can. Ooh, Habs are buzzing. No dice. Big scramble in front of that. Oh, my God. Weber's shot is so hard. Ugh. I would not want to be in front of that under any circumstances. Not with any amount of padding would I want to be in front of a Shea Weber slap shot. Hey, speaking of the Vegas Golden Knights, they were down 3-1 in the third period against the Dallas Stars today. And they came back and won it 4-3. Winning goal was controversial. It was originally ruled goaltender interference. Pete DeBoer challenged. The ruling was overturned. Stars weren't happy with it. But William Carrier ended up having the winning goal. And a comeback that was fueled by Mark Stone and Nate Schmidt. Um, And it was really impressive stuff. There's a reason I picked Vegas to be my cup winner. They're deep. They're resilient. Their leadership group is strong. Their goaltending tandem is phenomenal. Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. There's, you know, these playoffs are so hard to predict. But I really do feel that Vegas will win it all. Um, Anything can happen, of course. I thought one of their biggest, um, I thought the team they were going to play in the final would be Washington. I still believe that. Washington looked good against Tampa today. The Bolts ended up winning it in a shootout. But it was a solid performance from the Caps. Uh, I think, yeah, they went down 2-0 as well, and they came back and tied it. The top teams have looked really good, those teams that have had a bye. The only one that really hasn't uh, has been the Boston Bruins. Boston played Philadelphia on Sunday, and they looked horrible. Horrible. My old man's going to be mad here, and that doesn't like me slamming his Bruins, but even he said they were they looked like trash. They looked disinterested. They looked like they didn't want to be there. They looked like they were going through the motions. And I get they're missing Tuka Rask, and I get they're missing Andre Kasha. But I think by the end of the game, or by the third period, Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marshawn had combined for like three shots. Three. 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 Not 30. Three. Like, how does that happen? The Bruins are never going to win that way. One of the reasons that they made it as far as they did last year was because their bottom six was just amazing. Their forward depth that they acquired at the deadline, Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson, they're missing a lot of that now. They still have Coyle, but Johansson's gone. So as the perfection line, as they're called for some reason, goes, the Boston Bruins will go. Boston will not win if that line is not performing to the best of their abilities. And the Flyers look great. 
Oh, my Lord. Carter Hart was dialed in. Four lines were rolling through the Bruins lineup. The blue line looked good. They played physical. They played hard. They looked hungry. And the Bruins did not look hungry. And that's something that needs to change if the Bruins... If the Bruins want to take this thing as deep as they can. Top team coming in, and they've they've been the worst team on the ice so far. COVID might hurt them more than anybody in terms of in terms of NHL teams. What else can we talk about? Columbus and Toronto played last night. Um and Columbus played exactly how they needed to play to beat the Leafs. They smothered them defensively. Uh they waited for Toronto to make a mistake, and when they did. They converted on it. Did Cam Atkinson score a soft game-winning goal? Absolutely. It was a tremendously soft goal. But you can't put the blame on Freddie Anderson. Matthews didn't score. Tavares didn't score. Marner didn't score. Nylander. All the top guys. They couldn't solve Eunice Corposalo. And do I think the Leafs will win that series? I mean, now that they've, they've lost game one, they've, they've dug themselves a hole. Even if they can win the next game or game three. I think they're the better team, but so far Columbus has been better coached and Columbus has executed their game plan better. So it's going to depend on how Toronto responds in game two. Sorry, I'm a little stuffed up. I'm having allergies. All kinds of pollen and two dogs in the house now. It's a good time. And... Similar what you can to what you can say about the Minnesota Wild and the Vancouver Canucks. That was almost like Columbus and Toronto West. But this table is creaking. My God. You're about to hear a giant crash, and I'm going to fall through this damn table. Oh, this is a low-budget episode of Internal Budget. In any case, yeah. Um, Minnesota looked good. Matt Bosty was on the podcast saying he didn't think Minnesota would win a game. I said I didn't think that was fair. Uh, they executed their systems very well. They got good goaltending from Staylock. And they played exactly how they needed to play to win. Pedersen was really the only Canuck that showed up. Quinn Hughes had some flashes. Besser didn't do much. Horvat didn't do much. Markstrom was fine. But Vancouver needs to take advantage of what they do best. And that's skill and it's firepower. And again, if that if that doesn't come to the forefront, they're going to lose that series against the Wild, which would obviously be a huge upset. People would be losing money on it. Ooh, did Gallagher get hurt? He's looking hobbled. Ooh, boy. That'd be a killer for Montreal. I don't have the sound on, so I can't hear if he's not on the bench or anything. Boy, oh, boy. What else? Am I missing anything else games-wise? Oh, Florida, New York, Islanders. Who cares? Islanders won. Um, we talked about Blackhawks, Oilers. Oh, Winnipeg, Calgary. Matt Kachuk, Mark Shifley. That definitely was not intentional. In, in no way did Matt Kachuk mean to hurt Shifley there. It's unfortunate that it happened. I hope Shifley's all right. But the fact that Winnipeg came back and won game two... Without Shifley and without Liony, what a gutsy win for that team. Well coached by Paul Maurice. They're deep up front. Again, great leadership group with guys like Blake Wheeler. 
but they needed their secondary guys to step up, and they did. Adam Lowry stepped up. Nick Ehlers, 23 playoff games, finally got his first playoff goal. It was the game winner. And Calgary didn't play badly. That series is going to be a good one. It's physical. It's nasty. It's going to go five games. But it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, if and when the Jets get Shifley and Liney back because I don't think either are expected to be out long-term. If you recall, I picked the Jets to win that one. I still think they will in five, but Calgary's looked good so far. Calgary's looked uh, better than, I've ex- than I expected them to look. But they need to get healthy. Uh, Winnipeg needs to get healthy. That's for damn sure. I don't see how Winnipeg can sustain the rest of this series without those two guys. I think they'll be competitive, but I, I don't think they win it without Shifley and Line. Montreal is spending the entire third period in Pittsburgh's end. And Pittsburgh's down by one. If the Habs win this game, man, wow. I don't see how, you know, I'll, I'll be so shocked. And and no disrespect to the Canadians, but I mean, come on. Matt Murray's played well. Carey Price has been unbelievable. I said it on the podcast. If you were listening, which I hope you were, if Montreal gets the Carey Price of old back, they can absolutely steal this series. And so far, it may be looking that way. Sorry, I'm trying to pull up the questions tweet. And uh, Twitter has been really glitchy tonight. For some reason, I know a lot of people were saying it, but it's been crashing on me. I've been. It told me I've exceeded the... 2,000 tweet a day limit, which, you know, my father would probably agree with, but I know that I haven't. Man, you guys came through with a lot of questions. Let's do this. Um, Like I said, this is going to be a short edition of the podcast. Don't really have a ton prepared to offer. Going to have some cool guests coming on in the next few weeks, but for now that I'm at home and I'm kind of doing this on the fly, we're just going to get through it. We're just going to roll with it. James Wood, my brother, asks, what will Tom Hoof have to do differently as head of marketing here in Ottawa that he did or didn't do in Arizona? Um, I, I'm by no means an expert on Arizona's front office situation, but I think he needs to follow some of the Jim Little mold, and that's connect with the fans. You have to connect with this market in a way that engages them. Craig Medaglia, the former social media guy, was great at that. Ottawa Market is all great people, and they're all super nice and very genuine. So if you talk to people and you engage with them and you make them feel heard and valued, then you're going to be fine. Um, It's going to be about marketing around the draft. Um, I think using the 2D rebrand that's upcoming is going to be very important as marking the beginning of a new era. That's what they need to sell it as. Sell it as this is the dawning of a new era in Ottawa Senators hockey. We're gonna we're younger, we're faster, we play tougher, and we're gonna be competitive again. That's uh, that that's how I would market it. I'm by no means an expert. You're an expert, but I think uh, relative to what he did in Arizona, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know enough about that situation. Sends Insider, who's your favorite follower? Uh, follow on Twitter, and why is it Sends Insider? 
dude, you already know why you're my favorite follow. Come on. Come on. With the success of Spittin' Chicklets, this is from Taylor from the Third Line Plug Sense cast, friend of the show. With the success of Spittin' Chicklets, do you think podcasting could be seen as a new media avenue for players who want to make the transition? Yeah, I think it already is. Um, Christian Willanen has a podcast. Tony D'Angelo has his podcast. A lot of guys are doing their own podcast. So, yeah, I, I think it's already there. Uh, I think just because of its accessibility and how easy it is to start a podcast, you know, I bought 100 bucks for a microphone and I started a podcast. If I can do that, then any guy in the NHL can do it as well. So I, I definitely think so. This one's from Derek, writer for Sendshot. Should the Sens take a bite at signing Robin Leonard long-term slash make a trade for an established goalie like Matt Murray? Or are one of their current prospects going to amount to a reliable starter? What's the risk in either situation? For me, it's... Here's the thing. I wrote an article not long ago about weighing the options on whether or not the Sens should sign Leonard. There's pros and cons to both. I, I don't think you commit crazy long-term. I think you tr- you try to do in the neighborhood of a three- to five-year deal. Five years at absolute most. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it would be the worst idea in the world. If you're Ottawa, you have a lot of good prospects, but we always talk about it. Like, goalies are voodoo. And I don't think you can take for granted that one of those guys is going to be your goalie of the future. I think Marcus Hogberg could be that guy. I think Joey Decord could be that guy. I think Kevin Mandelis could be that guy. I think Philip Gustafson, Matt Sogard. I really think there's a good chance that any of those dudes could be the goalie of the future. But I worry about taking that like it's a given. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. So I would take a bite. I would kick tires on Leonard at least, even if he, you know, provided he even wants to come back. As far as Murray goes, um, whether or not he's on the market is going to depend on this playoff. I think he's done in Pittsburgh unless, you know, they go all the way again uh, and he wins the con Smythe or something like that. But yeah, he's a guy I definitely kick tires on. Um, you can probably get him without selling the farm. So. Yeah, either one of those guys I think should at least be in consideration for Ottawa. I wouldn't mind. I I would probably lean towards Murray because at the very worst, he's a stopgap solution. You don't necessarily have to lock yourself into a long-term deal or a deal with X amount of money like you would with Leonard. I think Murray is going to have a certain amount of uh, prove-it in his next contract unless he you know absolutely steals the show these playoffs. But it's an idea worth considering for sure. Brian, what's the best way to prepare potatoes? Dude, you've already asked me this, you freak. <laughs> uh, baked potatoes, great, but I'm going to go with fries. Darth Gobis. Raymond is going to be available for Ottawa at five. Do they take him? Yes. Without hesitation. You could make an argument that Lucas Raymond could go at three. So if he's there at five, and I think he will be, because it sounds like the Red Wings really like Cole Perfetti, I'm taking Raymond at five, for sure. Brochensky, my dude, how excited are you to follow the Ottawa Blackjack this season? Uh, I think it's going to be harder for me because I'm not, um, I'm not an Ottawa guy yet, yet, but uh, I will definitely be keeping tabs on them for sure. Steve Webb. Talk about how the Leafs can't even sell out a playoff game 
hardly anyone in attendance. What a disgrace for a Canadian team. Playoffs, at least the Sens had people show up. That's funny. Um, I, I think I saw someone say during the Leafs game that um, it was as quiet as a, it, w- it was just as loud as a regular home playoff game for the Leafs. Um, and yeah, like, you know, say what you will about Toronto fans. We certainly have fun with them in the Ottawa market, but they're a passionate group. They love their team, and I, I know they're cheering hard for them right now. They're nervous against Columbus, uh, but, you know, it, it's if you're talking about passion and you're talking about dedication to their team, it, it's hard to find a more, uh, a more invested group than fans of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, folks, I think that's all we're going to do for this episode of Internal Budget. Thank you for listening. Like I said, this episode was super unpolished. Uh, I, I had did no preparation for this whatsoever. It's just totally off the cuff as I'm watching the hockey game. About to go watch a movie with the girlfriend. But uh, we are going to have some cool stuff coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, I'm currently having some discussions, trying to get some very cool people on the podcast. So make sure you stay tuned and check that out. Uh, got a couple other little projects that I'm working on too that I'm really excited to share with you soon. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Summer of Brandon. Hashtag Summer of Brandon. Can we get that trending? No, we absolutely can't get that trending. Guys, thank you for listening. As always, make sure you like the podcast, share the podcast with your friends, download, subscribe, and rate five stars. That is the little thing that goes a super long way. I really appreciate it, and it helps me make that cool stuff happen. It's a big one next week. We got episode 33-0. How the time flies. Coming up in a week's time. We will see you then. Please, as things continue to reopen, stay healthy, stay safe, just be smart. Don't put yourself in bad situations. Wear a mask. And as always, take care, y'all.